Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Wolves and Sheep Podcast. I'm Roberta Glass, and today I will be talking to you about Michael Peterson, The Staircase, When Owls Don't Attack. So stay tuned. Okay, so Michael Peterson was a writer who lived in Durham, North Carolina. He was on his second marriage to Kathleen Hunt Atwater Peterson, a very brilliant woman, the first woman who was accepted into the Duke School of Engineering. She was an executive at Nortel. According to her friends and family, she was an incredible hostess, cook, and all around an incredible person. Now, Michael Peterson had run for mayor at the end of the 1990s, and he had lost. And he had lost because he had lied about the medals he received in the Vietnam War. And this was uh, quite a um, devastating loss to him. He was back writing novels. He had written for the local paper, talked writing about corruption and being very critical of the powers that be in Durham, North Carolina. Now, on December December 9th, 2001, Michael Peterson calls 911 and reports that his wife, Kathleen, has fallen down the stairs. She's had an accident. She's still breathing. Please help. Now, when the paramedics arrive, they find Kathleen Peterson dead at the bottom of the back steps, surrounded by lots of blood spatter on the walls. There is blood on the bottom of her feet. Some of the blood is dried She is clearly dead, and the paramedics feel that she did not recently pass. There is also many lacerations to the back of her head. When the police arrive and ask what happened, Michael Peterson said, I just went out for a second to turn off the pool lights. I came back in. And I found my wife at the bottom of the stairs, and it's a terrible, tragic accident. 
The police look around. They see two glasses of wine, what looks like at the bottom the remnants of red wine, a champagne, empty champagne bottle. They peer into the sink, and the smell of alcohol wafts up from the drain. There are no fingerprints of Kathleen on the two wine glasses, interestingly, but there's also an empty Diet Coke can covered in blood with a little bit of hair covered in Kathleen Peterson's fingerprints. There's also blood on the back walkway and blood on the side of the door entrance. And at first look, they think that this was just a terrible accident. Now, Todd Peterson, Michael Peterson's son from his first marriage, is there. He was called over after the paramedics, and he refuses to speak to the police. They ask to just for him to give a statement, and interestingly, he refuses. Michael Peterson, at one point, is also observed looking at his computer during this time that the police are investigating the scene. So while the police are invest, they go away from that scene thinking it was a fall, but they decide to investigate a little further. They get a call from a woman who is Elizabeth Ratliff's sister, who says, wait, first off, before I go any further, who's Elizabeth Ratliff, right? Elizabeth Ratliff is a woman Michael Peterson knew in Germany. And the sister shares with the police that my sister, Elizabeth Ratliff, died at the bottom of the stairs. Michael Peterson was the last person to see her alive. There was a tremendous amount of blood. And this seems to be too much, amount, too much of a coincidence. How can one person know two women who died at the bottom of the stairs. And Michael Peterson was the last person to see both of them alive. So, Elizabeth Ratliff was such a good friend of Michael Peterson's that she had two daughters, Margaret and Martha. And when she died, Mike, by this terrible, what was deemed an accident at the time, an accidental fall down the stairs, her two daughters, Martha and Margaret, were under the care and eventually adopted by Michael Peterson. Margaret and Martha will become two of Michael Peterson's strongest defenders in this trial. Now, there's another daughter, Caitlin, who is the daughter of Kathleen Peterson from her first marriage to Mr. Atwater. Caitlin, at first, is a huge supporter of Michael Peterson. But that will change, as we'll see, when the autopsy comes out. So the police begin to dig a little bit more into this, and eventually they charge Michael Peterson with murdering his wife, not just because of the um, coincidence of Elizabeth Ratliff, but because of the autopsy. But let's just put the autopsy on the back burner and talk about Michael Peterson's statement around Christmas. So this happened on the 9th. By Christmas, Michael Peterson goes to jail and gets bailed out. When he emerges 
from prison. He gives a statement to the press that I have never seen before and never seen since from a, I don't know if you'd call it a murder suspect or um, I, I guess he's uh, someone who's going to go on trial for murder. Let's put it that way. He comes out and he says roughly, Kathleen Peterson was my life. I whispered her name a thousand times in my heart. She is there, but I can't stop crying. I would have never done anything to hurt Kathleen. I am innocent of these charges, and I will prove them in court. Now that's not a word for word, but that's a summary of of what he said. And what was interesting is that it sounded so rehearsed. One, and secondly... He did the thing that I often hear people accused of murder do, which is they exchange the word hurt from murder. Now, no one's charging Michael Peterson with hurting his wife. He may never have hurt Kathleen, but he's definitely charged with her murder. But he says, instead of saying, I didn't murder my wife, I didn't kill my wife, he says, I didn't hurt Kathleen. So I noted, not the most damning piece of evidence, but just... Interesting. Noted. So when the autopsy comes out, the autopsy conclusion is blunt force trauma to the head due to a a homicide-sidal attack. And Deborah Radish, the medical examiner, concludes that because there are many vertical lacerations down the back of Kathleen's head. There's also the presence of red neurons. Red neurons arrive in the brain uh, two to six hours after loss of oxygen, and they denote, they represent a death over a long period of time that your brain is being starved of oxygen. So this was not, this death was not due, did not happen in 20 minutes with a quick check of the pool lights. And you'll see that Michael Peterson changes his story. So when the autopsy comes out, Caitlin, the daughter of Kathleen, turns against Michael Peterson and says, my mother was murdered. The rest of the family sticks with Michael Peterson. The rest of the, by the rest, I mean the rest of uh, the family, meaning the, his sons, Todd and Clayton, and his adopted daughters, Margaret and Martha, as well as his brother. Interestingly, his sister does not stick with him and says he's absolutely capable of murder. He has a terrible temper. Also, his ex-wife is also a supporter, Patricia. So that's how the family divides at that point. Also, the sisters of Kathleen change their minds about Michael Peterson when the autopsy comes out, when they look at the autopsy, Candace uh, Zamparini and Lori Campbell, those are her sisters, come out against Michael Peterson. Now, Jim Harden, the prosecutor, and Frida Black proceed on a very long, expensive trial. Now, in this trial, 
they bring to evidence a large amount of credit card debt in the hundreds of thousands. They also bring as evidence as a motive, possible motivation Kathleen Peterson's $1.8 million life insurance policy. They also bring as evidence Michael Peterson's bisexual lifestyle that Michael Peterson, it comes to light that Michael Peterson had affairs, or I don't even know if you'd say affairs, he had trysts with men, and he also initiated a meeting with a gay escort, Brad. And Brad testifies at the trial in a quite, um, I don't know, uh, it's, it's quite an amazing, uh, testimony. It's, it's very flamboyant. That's all I can say about Brad's testimony. He says, I know diddly, I know diddly about this, about Michael Peterson murdering his wife at one point. It's, Adds a little, I, I don't even know, dark black humor to, to the trial. And they also, so the prosecution, what the prosecution said happened on the night of December 9th is Kathleen Peterson went to send a work email. She had some problem with her computer. She forgot it. She needed to use Michael Peterson's computer. She went to his study to send an email. She found gay porn, or she found this correspondence with Brad, the gay escort, a fight ensued while I'm working my butt off at Nortel, you're here arranging to meet up with gay prostitutes, and Michael Peterson got so mad during this fight that he grabbed a blowpoke, which is a brass fireplace instrument that you that's hollow and hacked the back of her head with it and strangled her. Interesting to note there's also the shoe print of Michael Peterson's sneaker on the back of Kathleen Peterson's behind. It's a very interesting piece of evidence for someone who said that he loved her so much. How did that get there? I mean, you can say I was helping turn her over, I was trying to rescue her, but what was he doing stepping on her? Hard enough to leave a footprint. Very strange. There's also blood splatter up the bottom of Michael Peterson's shorts. And they said they beat her, that Michael Peterson beat her to death and staged the scene with the wine glasses, poured out a bottle of wine, said she was drunk. She fell down the stairs. Now, when the autopsy comes out, it's interesting to note that she was not drunk. She had .07, which is still legal enough to drive, at least in the state where I live in New York. And she did take a Valium. Now, that will increase the effects, but she was not blind drunk walking up the stairs and falling. So that eliminates that possibility. So that's the prosecution story. Now, the defense's story is that they had a perfect marriage. They were soulmates. And the financial trouble wasn't really as great as the prosecution makes it out. And 
The blood spatter evidence isn't reliable, and they bring Henry Lee, famous from the OJ case, to dispute the blood splatter evidence. And the and they say that this missing blowpoke isn't really missing, and they show up with their own blowpoke at the end of the trial. So Michael Peterson spent, I think, nearly a million, if not a, more than a million, on his defense, and he loses. He gets convicted. And after the trial, what comes to light is that the blood splatter, splatter evidence presented by Dwayne Deaver he perjured himself on the stand. He said he did a hundred plus cases and he only did, you know, in the two figures. And he said this, <laughs> uh, and that's, he misrepresented how much experience he had. Also, there was evidence in other cases where he was working with the prosecution to uh, withhold evidence from the defense and he was Basically, what came to light is that the blood splatter department was led by Dwayne Deaver was heavily, uh, which or which included Dwayne Deaver was heavily favored towards or biased towards the prosecution, and this resulted in the end result was Dwayne Deaver's firing, and the whole SBI changing their name to the North Carolina Investigative Bureau. I believe it's like it's now the State Bureau Investigations to North Carolina changed it to North Carolina Forensic Science Advisory Board. So so meaning they changed it so it would be for everybody, not just the prosecution and to really stress that. So when this came about in two uh, in December of 2011, Michael Peterson got out of jail. Because they said, look, he didn't have a fair trial. The Judge Hudson, who was the judge on the original trial that he got convicted, said, you know what, you're right. And he got out with an ankle bracelet. And the state couldn't decide whether they were going to retry him or plea deals, I believe, were going back and forth. Or at least that's what was being reported in the press. However, this all ended, I hate to ruin the ending for you, but this all ended with Michael Peterson taking the famous Alford plea, where you can still maintain your innocence, but legally it goes down as a guilty plea to manslaughter with time served. And when he presented his plea to the court, Candace Zamperini gives a impact, victim impact statement to beat the band. It is incredible, and I highly recommend it to those interested in the case. It is a scorcher, and it makes me wish I had a sister like that. So I'm showing my hand a little bit, but also around, I guess, around the end of like 2009, 2008, around that time, this owl theory came out. And this theory was by Mr. Pollard, who was a neighbor of Michael Peterson, who knew them as a couple, Michael and Kathleen as a couple, and felt very strongly that a murder could not have occurred. And he looked at the autopsy pictures and the way the skull lacerations vertically go down Kathleen's head and they look like a claw mark. 
interesting, Elizabeth Ratliff and Kathleen Peterson had the same amount of lacerations. And so you wonder, were they both attacked by owls? But so he said this was an owl attack. Kathleen was outside at the pool. She came running in and she was attacked by an owl and ran, and just happened to die by the end of the stairs. That was a coincidence. The staircase had nothing to do with it. Michael Peterson was wrong in assuming that she fell down the stairs. And his theory was supported by the fact that they found a microscopic owl feather in her hair. How amazing, right? But to believe this owl theory, you also have to think that there was no blood droplets running throughout the house. Uh, why was there blood spatter? Could Kathleen Peterson, I guess you could say in the attack, that she was beating away the owl? But, um, or you could say that she was coughing up the blood. It just gets a little hinky in thinking that Michael Peterson wouldn't hear anything while his wife was... What was he doing while... He was just sitting by the pool, didn't hear anything while she was dying for two hours. And just the amount of time. And why there weren't owl feathers strewn, strewn all throughout the house. You have to wonder. Also, how did the owl fracture her throat? How did that happen? So the owl theory, while may be a better theory than the fall down the stairs. I mean, take your pick. I don't know, but it didn't convince me, and Michael Peterson changed his story. These are the things, these are the problems I have, and I'm going to also, first I'm going to talk about the problems I have with the prosecution. I do not like the fact that the prosecution brought up the fact that Michael Peterson had hardcore porn. Now, if he had softcore porn, was he less likely to murder his wife? That just seemed just like unnecessary character assassination. The fact that he was bisexual was brought up as extra humiliating, as which seemed a little bit homophobic. And I think it was just enough that he had gay affairs of any kind. If it were a female prostitute he were meeting, I think Kathleen would be angry too. So I, I don't think it was necessary to drive home his bisexuality deviancy in the manner that Frida Black did. She's a very flamboyant, or she was a very flamboyant, she doesn't practice anymore, very flamboyant prosecutor. Excuse me. Thirdly, I did not like the fact that the prosecution did not use an independent autopsy person to do the autopsy. They used Deborah Radish again to do the autopsy on Elizabeth Ratliff when they exhumed her body. And I think they could have used an independent autopsy. I think they could have used an independent person for that autopsy. I think it would have been more powerful evidence. Although I don't know. I think that's a kind of minor point. I just would have preferred it. Those are uh, my problems with the prosecution. My problems with the... Also, my, my fourth problem is with the blowpoke. 
How did a blowpoke not create any brain bruising or skull fractures? Now, that is very powerful evidence that the defense brought up. How did he beat her to death without causing any brain bruising or skull fractures? A brass object flinged by a powerful guy went to the gym all the time. That was one thing that definitely came up in the um, trial. How did he fling that thing, and really, if you're beating someone, and not bruise her brain? Very strange. And that may just be my naivete with a blowpoke. I have never held a blowpoke. I have looked at pictures, but Deborah Radish says it's possible for that instrument to make those kind of injuries, so I will have to take her word for it, but I do wonder if it really were the blowpoke, and even though Michael Peterson is such a liar, it's hard to believe anything he says, he he is certain, uh, sure on the fact that it wasn't the blowpoke. He knows it wasn't that stupid blowpoke when he's brought... When a reporter asks him about the out theory, he says, well, it's not any stupider than the blowpoke. Not uh, not very convincing sign of evidence, but still, you know, he seems certain that it wasn't the blowpoke. It may have been the blowpoke. I don't know. I'm just not sure, and I wasn't totally convinced by the prosecution that it was the blowpoke. On the defense side, Henry Lee was completely ineffective and ridiculous and looked like he was just counting his money on the stand. I found the use of the word soulmates and the perfect marriage offensive and ridiculous. I did not like the suggestion that or I didn't believe the suggestion. It's not that I didn't like it. They can definitely suggest it. I just didn't believe the suggestion that Kathleen uh, Peterson knew about her husband's affairs and was cool with it. I just, it's hard to believe. And when you read Diane Fanning's book concerning the blowpoke, Diane Fanning is an author who wrote a book about the Michael Peterson case. And she mentions that the defense, that Michael Peterson purchased blowpokes from some store, I believe it was in Maine, and had them shipped to North Carolina in the middle of the trial. So now was that where the mysterious blowpoke made its appearance? Did they cover it in cobwebs? And it's also interesting to note that in the documentary, he said, my son found it, and most recently when he was interviewed, he goes, oh, yes, the blowpoke. Margaret and my son found it. How many people found that blowpoke? Did one person find it? Did two people find it? So his memory, uh, his story changes. Also, I don't believe Michael Peterson's changing story, and I don't believe his story from the pool lights to I was lounging out in the pool in 45-degree temperature in shorts for an hour and a half. I just, I'm just not a believer. But it took me a long time to come to this conclusion because I'm still perplexed, probably longer than it should have. I'm still perplexed as to how the actual murder beating went down and how those lacerations on the back of the head were created, and with what and how, 
And I've come to the conclusion that those lacerations were just created to have her bleed out. That at the end, after the fight, after strangling her and beating her, that there was also defensive wounds on Kathleen Peterson's arms. That he started to stage the scene, and it worked once, he went back to what works. And human beings will go back to what works. And there's a moment in the staircase where the defense attorney, attorney uh, Rudolph, says, well, what what do I have on, when the Elizabeth Ratliff evidence comes up? He says, what, is Michael Peterson a staircase killer? What, does he kill women? 16 years or whatever years he says apart. It's 1985 to 2001. You do the math. Um, so many years apart, and he only kills them on stairways. And when you put it like that, any murder will sound ridiculous. For example, let's take the O.J. Simpson murder. Are we to believe that Michael, uh, that O.J. Simpson just on his way to take a trip just decides right before he goes to quickly go murder his wife, come back and hop on a plane and hope nobody notices. So any murder, when put that way, put in a logical, rational context, will sound ridiculous. I challenge you. Murder is not rational, it's not logical, and when you put it in a rational frame, it will always look ridiculous. So that is my take on the Michael Peterson staircase murder case. Now, leave me a comment if you know about blowpokes, if, you if you've seen the documentary, if you have any takes. Let me know if you believe the owl theory. If you don't believe the owl theory, just drop me a comment, subscribe, like, and I'll see you back here again. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.